0: Welcome to season three of Journeys of Faith. I'm your host, Paula Ferris. Excited for you to dig into this season. We'll be talking to political luminaries, some candidates, and other figures about how their personal faith influences their person and policy.
1: Love does not morally equivocate. And that is what will defeat the president at the ballot box.
0: Our next guest is a friend of Oprah, Marianne Williamson, who has both fascinated and confused as she continues her bid for 2020. Now, Williamson has some really unique views on gun control. She says she'd outlaw bullets. And one of her signature policies is reparations, paying the African-American population hundreds of billions of dollars over the next decade Her answer as to why is really intriguing. Now, Williamson also addresses the critics who call her a self help celebrity, a menace to society, and anti science. But one indisputable truth she has a massive and loyal following. We'll talk about her Jewish faith, the truth regarding her much talked about relationship with Oprah, and her incredibly human take on the simplicity of miracles. Marianne Williamson, welcome to Journeys of Faith podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I know it's probably been a whirlwind. You're out campaigning from state to state. You are in New York City right now. Thanks for
1: informing me.
0: (laughs) So I I want to dig into your own personal faith journey. I know a lot of people think that you're the spiritual advisor to Hollywood and you're Oprah's spiritual guru. Um, But when it comes to your own personal faith journey... What faith, what religion do you ascribe to? How do you identify
1: yourself? First of all, I do want to say I don't think of myself, nor do I assume she does, uh, as Oprah's spiritual advisor.
0: Okay, we, we are going to call you Oprah's spiritual advisor. <laughs> yeah, well, that's sort of the problem, though.
1: Um, I am a Jew. I was born a Jew. I am a Jew. I think you're born a Jew. You die a Jew. Mm-hmm. I am Jewish. I um, am also a student of a set of books called A Course in Miracles, and A Course in Miracles is not a religion. There's no dogma. There's no doctrine. Students of The Course in Miracles come from all religions and no religion, and it speaks of universal spiritual themes, certainly that are at the heart of Judaism, at the heart of Islam, at the heart of Christianity, at the heart of all the great spiritual systems, about living a righteous life, a humble life, a, a, a life of compassion, a life of forgiveness, and... Being a student of a, a Course in Miracles has deepened my understanding of how to apply uh, religious principles to my life. I'm not saying that there's anything in The Course in Miracles that's not found in Judaism or in any of the other great religious systems. It's simply that it has helped me understand some of the ways that those things have practical relevance and application.
0: So these, it's a set of books called A Course in Miracles. It's n- there's no dogma attached to it, no doctrine. Correct. So
1: There is nothing in The Course in Miracles to believe in. The Course in Miracles says that belief, many people believe things. It's, it's what you experience that matters. The only thing The Course in Miracles seeks to get us to believe in is the power of love in our lives and each other. There's, there's no doctrine. There's nothing that you believe in. I believe in God. And that to me means I believe in a higher power that can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that when I align my thoughts with love, I'm literally aligned with that power. That's what I believe in. So
0: you're aligning yourself with love.
1: In any given moment that I do. I'm not a perfect human being. But I believe that in the moments that we do align with love, Mm -hmm. breakthroughs occur.
0: If someone were to ask you, what do you believe? How do you respond?
1: I believe in God. And I believe in the power of love. And to me, to believe in God and to believe in the power of love are one and the same thing. Okay. You can't have one without the other.
0: God is love. So how did you come to believe what you believe now?
1: What I believe now, I've always believed. I was raised in a Jewish home. Mm -hmm. It's not like I've learned anything from The Course in Miracles that isn't in Judaism or isn't in Christianity Mm -hmm. or isn't in any of the great religious systems of the world. The Course is just based on universal spiritual themes. So when you look at the actual universal themes at the heart of all the great spiritual systems, you see that there is one truth, and it is spoken in many different ways.
0: Right. It's really interesting how you put it. You pushed back a little bit when I said that a lot of people consider you Oprah's spiritual advisor. She did read your book, A Return to Love. You've written 13 books, four New York Times bestsellers, but Oprah said that after reading... A return to love, she experienced 157 miracles. Huh. What can you say about the influence that you've had on her and your relationship with her?
1: A miracle is a shift in perception. It's a shift in thinking from fear to love. And my As bo-
0: simple as that?
1: That's pretty huge. Okay. Because everything flows from that. When your thinking changes, everything changes. Your nervous system changes. Your Assumptions change, your energy changes, and ultimately your behavior changes. And as those things change, other people's responses to you change. Life changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is pretty common sense. This Mm -hmm. isn't some esoteric truth. My book, A Return to Love, I jokingly refer to it as the cliff notes of A Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. So when Oprah read A Return to Love, she talked about the changes in thinking that she considered reading that book. That book talks about forgiveness. talks about the power of atonement and forgiveness and faith and a higher power and love of people and giving up our judgments. Nothing wild. This is not wacko. Mm-hmm. This is as as fundamental to any spiritual perspective as is possible. It sounds like it's a, just a simple shift within our own minds, too. That's exactly what it is.
0: One of your signature policies is reparations, and you want um, to... Enlist a reparations commission if you are uh, elected president and you want to um, pay back the, the African American population 200 to 500 billion over the next decade. Is that correct?
1: Yes. And let's talk about that in spiritual terms, if we might. It is a universal spiritual theme that we must atone for our mistakes. Catholics go to confession, and the Jews in Judaism, the holiest day of the year is the day of Yom Kippur, Mm -hmm. or the day of atonement, that you atone for your errors. When you have confessed a sin, i.e. sin, you've confessed an error, you've recognized it, you've acknowledged it, you've atoned in your heart for it. It, as it were, wipes the slate clean. You've dealt with it on the level of cause. And then you also make amends You take a fearless moral inventory, and you admit the exact nature of your character defects. When we do that, lives change. You can't have the future you want unless you're willing to clean up the past. And, And you think that this is something that the country needs. Well, when it comes to reparations for slavery, the issue is the following. Racism was our original character defect. I do not think the average American is a racist. I don't. That's not my belief. That's not my experience. But I do think that the average American is woefully undereducated about the history of race in the United Mm -hmm. States. Enslaved people were first brought here in 1619. Slavery did not end in this country for 249 years until the end of the Civil War. That was followed by another 100 years of institutionalized violence against black people. That's 350 years. Mm -hmm. That is longer than this country has been in existence. My main point has to do with the economic gap that existed at the end of the Civil War, obviously. the General Sherman promised 40 acres and a mule to every former slave family of four, which would have given people an opportunity to make a living. Martin Luther King would say, a hundred years later, "They were freed, but what were they freed to? Germany, after World War II, has paid 89 billion dollars in reparations to Jewish organizations. This doesn't mean the Holocaust didn't happen, but it has gone far towards establishing reconciliation between Germany and the Jews of Europe. The reason I propose a reparations plan, as opposed to, let's say, race-based policies, race-based policies leaves open the question whose fault it is Mm -hmm. that that gap exists. Reparations contain an inherent mea culpa, it is an inherent acknowledgment of a wrong that was done, a debt that is owed, and the willingness on the part of a nation to pay that debt.
0: Reconciliation and healing.
1: Therefore, okay. it carries moral force hmm. that goes beyond simply economic exchange. Who, who are your spiritual influences? Jesus, Moses, the psalmists. Anyone present day? Robert Thurman, the Dalai Lama. I appreciate the books of Diana Bass. I think any great artist is speaking spiritual truth. Mm-hmm. You know, we put lines and categories in places where lines and categories do not necessarily serve. A great love song is spiritual. Mm-hmm. A great love sonnet is spiritual. Anything that opens your heart is spiritual.
0: I want to go back to, to policy. How does your faith inform those particular policies when it comes to abortion and when it comes to <laughs> gun laws?
1: I do believe that abortion is a moral issue. Okay. I simply think it's a issue of private morality okay. and not public morality. I do not believe that government has any right to be making someone's private moral decisions. I do not believe that the government has any right to weigh in on a woman's choice and that is why I'm very pro choice and I'm against any kind of limit on a woman's reproductive freedom. Gun control, gun laws, how does your faith inform that? <clears throat> My faith informs it that we put the lives of our children before the lives of before the profits of gun manufacturers. That one's very very clear to me.
0: If you were elected president, what would your policy be? Would you use executive order? I would use executive
1: order, to yes. And the the problem we have, of course, is that as long as the NRA has the kind of power that it has, there's a limit to what executive orders can do. Mm -hmm. But I would absolutely use executive orders to whatever extent possible to allow for universal background checks, outlawing bump stocks. Um, closing all the loopholes, the gun show loopholes, the boyfriend loopholes, uh, outlawing uh, all assault weapons, the all IR automa- automatics absolutely, and when we do that we 're still going to have millions of them on the street, so what we 're going to have to do is outlaw the bullets I certainly i don 't want to mess with the, with, the, with the bill of rights i don 't think any <laughs> intelligent person does. We have the right to bear arms in this country. I honor that, and there are many law abiding people who own guns in this country. But the fact that you have the have the right to bear arms does that does not mean and there's nothing in the Second Amendment that 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 would indicate that that means that there cannot be common sense Mm -hmm. gun regulations.
0: You've had quite a few moments, um, especially in the second debate. And uh, one of your particular moments, you talked about a dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that Trump is bringing up. What is that dark psychic force? Is that force Trump or is it something separate?
1: Racism, bigotry anti-Semitism, homophobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia. You put those things together, the energy that they create when they are collectivized is indeed a dark psychic force Mm -hmm. and has been throughout history. And few things in history have been as dangerous as collectivized hatred. The president harnesses it for his own political purposes. He didn't create it. He just does not have the ethics or the conscience to recognize the danger that they present
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the moral fiber to know that for a person of conscience, the last thing they would do is exploit those things for their own personal gain.
0: How do you think you can beat Trump?
1: I, You know, if you're talking about the deeper level of reality here, I can't quote-unquote beat Trump. However, there is a force of collectivized decency, love, conscience, dignity, which arises within people. And it's interesting. A deep appreciation of love gives a deeper appreciation of that which is not love. Mm -hmm. And love has the power. the, the, The power of love is the power to say yes and the power to say no. Love does not morally equivocate. And that is what will defeat the president at the ballot box. Enough people rising up and looking at something which has already stoked dangerous forces and saying no.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
1: What does separation of church and state mean to you? Separation of church and state is very important. It's one of the most enlightened aspects of our Constitution. It protects the government from religious interference. You'll never see, for instance, during a session of Congress, you're never going to see a minister, a priest, rabbi, imam, any clergy person walking down down the aisle and saying, You can't pass that law, or you have to pass this law. That's never going to happen here. And at the same time, you will never see at a mosque, at a church, at a synagogue, at a monastery, at a shrine, at an AA meeting, or, interestingly enough, at a meeting of young atheists. Mm-hmm. Because the, the the freedom of religion is the freedom not only to believe however you wish or not to believe. So you will never see a policeman showing up at any of those meetings and saying, break it up. You're not on the list. That's huge. That is huge. So the separation of church and state was uh, is, is one of our most powerful profound freedoms.
0: Some people say that you do have some extreme views. Uh, Vox released an article over the summer, and it says Marianne Williamson is not a serious candidate for the presidency. She's a self-help celebrity, a menace to public health. The more famous she gets, the more harm she can do. And they're calling out your views on antidepressants and your views on vaccination.
1: uh, We can talk about those. They're not calling out anything. There is an ancient strain of misogyny.
0: You think that that, that is misogynist? Well, uh, uh, there's an
1: ancient strain of miso- misogyny that if a woman does not toe the line whatever, with whatever the status quo of her time is, is not just a bad girl. She's crazy. She's dangerous. So let's – you say they call it out. What has it been called out? Why is it in politics? It is impossible to have a nuanced conversation. I have never said that I'm anti-vaccine. I have never told anyone to get off their medicine. I have never told anyone that if they should just pray away their disease.
0: I, I want to just circle back a little bit. Uh, we were talking about separation of church and state and the founding fathers. Do you believe that we are
1: still one nation under God? Well, interesting that we said I think that the line is extremely important. I believe that in the level of our hearts, we are one humanity under God. But free will means that we bring into expression either that truth or not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's why I'm doing this why I'm saying this where is the love where is the the moral dimension that's what morality is Mm -hmm. that's what the word righteousness means it means right use of the mind do you believe
0: that our currency should say in God we trust yes you still do yes why do we or should we
1: well, uh, 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 liberty and justice for all. Mm-hmm. Do we or should we? Mm-hmm. But it's important that we say it. It's important that it, it, it's our affirmation. It's important that it's our intention. And for many of us, we take it very seriously.
0: Most people, especially outside of the United States, consider America to be a Judeo-Christian nation. Do you think we're still a Judeo-Christian nation?
1: Well, we're not a, uh, we're not a monolith. We are a religiously pluralistic nation. That's how we were set up. Religious freedom means we are a religiously pluralistic nation. And most of the foundational principles of Judaism and Christianity, which do form the core uh, that in many ways were foundational to Western liberalism, are are universal spiritual themes at the core of all the great religious systems Mm -hmm. of the world. Mm -hmm. What should be taught in schools?
0: Evolution? creation?
1: I believe that evolution definitely should be taught in the schools. And if people have religious beliefs about creationism, then they should uh, uh, teach their children whatever they believe. Mm -hmm. You know, contrary to some of the lies that have been said about me, I'm the furthest thing in the world from anti-science. So, of course, we should teach Evolution in the schools mm-hmm. but to me that is not contrary to the belief that God created me. My daughter physically came out of my womb but God created her. that is how I believe it mm-hmm. because she's spirit she's not just body. the two are not in are, are not in conflict would
0: you have any hesitancy nominating? A Muslim, a Hindu, a Sikh, or a Christian to the federal bench?
1: Absolutely not. If
0: you are elected for the voters that don't support you, that may disagree with your platform, how do you plan on protecting their
1: rights as well? One of the things that's so horrendous about this president, unlike any president, certainly in my lifetime, is that he seems to only care about the people who voted for him. You know, I didn't vote for George Bush, either George Bush, and I didn't vote for Ronald Reagan. But I didn't feel they didn't care about me. I didn't feel that they didn't care about my rights. This is an aberration what has happened here. Mm -hmm. This is terrible. This is aberrational. Nobody gains the presidency having been elected by everyone mm-hmm. in, the, in the electorate that's the whole point right. but the moment you become president you become president of all the people and people have the right to disagree with you that's what a free society is in a free society we don't owe it to anyone even our president to agree with them and we don't owe it to anyone to to vote in a certain way so the right of every citizen, whether they agree with me or not, is sacrosanct. The, the, the right of everyone to vote the way they wish, whether they would vote for me or not, is sacrosanct. If your faith in the Constitution clashed, how would you reconcile that? I have read the Constitution. There is no way that in which the Constitution and my faith clash. None. None.
0: What about policy?
1: Well, that's the point of being president. You have power. Mm -hmm. Franklin Roosevelt said the primary responsibility of the presidency is not its administrative aspect. He said the administrative aspect of the presidency is secondary. The primary aspect is moral leadership. So to me, moral certitude and moral authority of the president is absolutely essential. You
0: may think that this next quote is misogynist as well. It comes from the LA times and it says feared in some quarters for her explosive temper. Williamson acknowledges that she often comes across as the quote, bitch for God. And that came uh, out of your mouth, right?
1: I, I think it probably did about 30 <laughs> years ago, by the oh, way, Let, let's be clear. Here.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I was, it was here in New York mm. and we were doing a fundraiser and I wanted to open something with a prayer. You know, these Male old come up and say the prayer. Nobody says that's wacky or new age. Mm-hmm. I say it, wacky new age. So I kept saying that I want to say a prayer. And somebody said she's being bitchy about this. And I turned around. And I said, well, if I'm being a bitch, at least I'm being a bitch for God. So sorry, I said, you know. I, but once again, it was 30 years ago. and part- I
0: think we'll refer to you as a spiritual counselor. That's fine. Thank but, you. Marianne Williamson, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Journeys of Faith. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. And let us know what you think with a rating and a review. Journeys of Faith, it's a production of ABC Audio, produced by Whitney Lloyd, Lewis Millman, and Suzy Liu. Thanks again for listening. I'm Paula Ferris.